Warning, what you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Well, hello everyone and welcome back. Uh, this is the second installment of our Alien series, uh, The Egg Chronicles. The trash heap goes to space. Yeah, uh, I'm Elliot, and that's Keith, as always. Uh, Keith, how are we doing today? Howdy, partner. Uh, I've got big news. Oh, yeah? I know that last time uh, I mentioned that I was drinking water out of 7-Eleven water out of plastic bottles because there was weird things showing up in my my faucet drinking water. Uh, well, things are looking pretty good, and I'm back on the faucet. Back on the faucet? Yeah, no no metal particles or rust or nice. dirt or, uh, like, pirate treasure trickling out of the, the faucet when I turn on the tap, so... Well, uh, I mean, wouldn't that be good if there was, like, gold and, like, jewels and Spanish doubloons coming out? Yeah, I'd be so rich I could just construct uh, a, a completely new facility with uh, updated pipes and all that, but... Um, if that was happening, like the second it happened, would you say this water bill is going to pay itself? Uh, I'd probably say something, something similar, but maybe in a pirate voice, like "Yeah, yar, this water quality be high," says I. There we go. <laughs> something like that. So yeah, the um, water situation's good. It's good. I'm hydrated off my ass right now. And, Perfect. Uh, so you're gonna pee what, like seven, eight times? Yeah, this maybe episode? maybe fifteen. Oh wow. Maybe. 151 in honor of uh in honor of one of the movies we're going to be talking about today mm. yes the egg chronicles part two uh our alien retrospective series the one that nobody asked for because these these films have been talked about uh to death and ran completely into the ground but uh who knows maybe uh when we got them on the operating table we'll uh cut open a uh a new new part and discover uh something fresh or even if we don't, what do people love more than anything else, Keith? Things that are familiar. It's true. They just want to hear the same stuff over again. Recognizable franchises, characters you know and love. Exactly. Opinions that express your thoughts and feelings. I do want to get back to the water, though, before we get too far away from it. I yep. have a couple questions, because it sounded like a pretty dire situation last we talked. Um do you have any, there's no like weird aftertaste or anything? No. In fact, the water tastes better and smells better and looks better than I remember it being before. So I'm really convinced here that it was the construction that was happening on a daily basis that was just knocking loose all, all types of uh, ancient sediment in the pipes. Have you, since starting to redrink the water again, has there been any, like, have you any uh, mutations, hallucinations, uh, visions from God? No, no extra voices? limbs. I haven't transformed into, like, a gelatinous glowing blob so or we're anything talking like just that. Regular it's only been pop. about 24 to 48 hours. So oh, okay. So it hasn't it, been long enough, really, to... Okay. Yeah, I haven't cocooned myself like as, uh, as... Jeff Goldblum's son in The Fly Part Ooh, 2. yeah. Okay, so but so still thus far just like there's basic, still time. <laughs> basic steak and potatoes tap water. Yep, yep. Okay. There's, there's steak and potatoes coming out of the faucet and beautiful. Uh, I'm eating like a king. All right, good. Well, that's good to hear. I'm I'm happy for you, Keith. Yeah. What's new with you? Well, I guess some there's some the, uh, some changes on my end too since uh, last we talked. Uh, 
I got vaccinated. What? That was really cool. And I learned a magic trick. So that was those are those are my two uh, big ones. What what's the magic trick? It's a card trick. I'll show it to you. Are someday. you <laughs> hold on. Are you a sleight of hand hobbyist? No, not at all. I mean when I remember when I was a little kid I had uh like you know like uh fifth uh, guide to kids magic you know and had like some little props or whatever how to make your tricycle disappear yeah exactly <laughs> but i've never been like a a sleight of hand uh aficionado or amateur magician but i was just like i was just for whatever reason i just googled card tricks i was i didn't think i was just bored and i learned i learned one this past week um yeah so i got vaccinated this past week i learned a card trick this past week and uh there we go. Wow, you're pretty much unstoppable at this point. Yeah, uh, pretty much. What did she say? <laughs> Francis in the background said, I got vaccinated. <laughs> she did. Everybody out here getting vaccinated. Good That's for true. you guys. Yeah. But she didn't learn any magic tricks. So. Oh. <laughs> Francis won Elliot too. Yeah. But she knows how to survive in the wilderness. She's got, like, wilderness skills. That's true, yeah, like uh, mountain man skills. Yeah. She knows that you have to bury people upright so mm-hmm. that they don't, like, sit up in their grave. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So that's one of her skills. Very important. I just want to uh, take a take a second here. I'm getting some real-time feedback mm-hmm. from, uh, <laughs> from one of our loyal listeners. Uh-oh. And uh, I'm just going to read this this word for word with no... Where where is this? What source is this? Very little from? prompting. I don't even want to say. I'm not going to name names or no, call no, anybody else specifically. Names, but I mean, but... like, are they responding to like Instagram? Was oh no, this is not on social media. But that's where you should be following us at yes. at Trash Heap Pod on Instagram is so your like, source for Trash Heap news. Um, information delivered via passenger pigeon or no? It's just sort of the text is. It's like that scene in Alien where like the text just pops up on the screen and they're like, "Oh, we got a we got a communique from the company." Okay, gotcha. <laughs> and it takes weeks to get a response. Wait, is it is it Waylon Utani messaging you? I believe it is Charles Wayland <laughs> himself. Uh, it says Rambo equals Alien. I'm gonna watch the Alien movies because of your pod. After I finish the Bond franchise, Rambo three was my first Rambo two, and it continues. James Bond talk, yes. This pod of the trash head is great. <laughs> I think that's a typo. <laughs> you are Wait, so much smarter than anyone about movies. I never thought about Alien this way before. Amazing. Huh. Okay, well, so there we go. We've been doing this show for a few years now and just sort yeah. of crawling along with sporadic episodes, but it's that type of feedback that really makes it all worthwhile. It does, you know. It's that's a- why we do it. Yeah, it certainly isn't to hear our own voices. No, I mean particularly since, as we've both pointed out, our voices are similar enough, you know, that it's a little overkill. Yeah, it's like having an internal monologue that um, doesn't sound exactly like you. Yeah, I wonder too, like how many people I've met people who do not have an internal monologue, which um, that's fascinating in and of itself, but. Uh, I'd love to talk to people who have an inner monologue that does sound different from their own voice. And maybe it has like a different side to their personality. Like it's maybe it's more outgoing or maybe it's more angry or 
you know, maybe it has like a regional accent or something like mm. that. I think mm-hmm. that'd be pretty cool. A bur- like a Brooklyn accent or something. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, um, yeah. So I guess that's those are the big updates. Um, before we get into the meat of the show, there is something I'm curious about um, because it's involving eggs. And I was uh, I've been eating a lot of egg sandwiches this week. And I was curious, Keith, what is your favorite egg breakfast sandwich? And not just, I don't want to know, I want to know details. Do you have a particular favorite bread, favorite meat that goes on it? Do you not like meat on your egg breakfast sandwiches? So what? how do you get down with the eggs? Okay, so you, you sort of already like vaulted the biggest hurdle there when you specify, because there's a couple different kinds of egg sandwiches, right? Mm-hmm. The the two most common being the uh, egg breakfast sandwich, but then right. there's also the egg salad sandwich. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into that, but that could be a, maybe, the, maybe the next episode. I'm talking egg breakfast sandwiches right now. Right, exactly. So um, I'm not a huge fan of egg salad myself, mm-hmm. um, but I love a good breakfast sandwich. You mm-hmm. better believe it. Those are super tasty and one of my favorite things to eat, but... Um, there's no accounting for taste. My favorite breakfast sandwich is actually the Jimmy Dean's frozen breakfast sandwich from the grocery store. It comes on an English muffin, mm-hmm. which is frozen. It comes with a turkey sausage patty, also frozen. Mm-hmm. A single slice of cheddar cheese, also mm-hmm. frozen. Which is fun because when you first pull it out, sometimes you can you just snap off. Uh, the edge of the cheese. Like a shard of cheese glass? Yeah, cheese shard. Um, and then uh, it's a little, there's a little sort of foamy egg white patty. Hmm. Now, when you, how do you heat these up? Do you heat them up in Oh, you throw them in the oven. You get okay, the, you, do, you do the oven, okay. Yeah, if you do the, the microwave is fine, If but it's going to be soggy every right. time. It's going to be kind of now, mushy. But if you, uh, if you heat up the oven and then toss them in with the, uh, you got to separate all the pieces and then put the put the bread face down. Okay, th- so you separate. I, that was part of my question because it seems to me that a lot of these things would reheat at different times and temperatures. Right. Yeah. So you take out the uh, you leave the cheese, the the turkey patty, and the the egg white all together, and then you take out the bread first. Gotcha. Um, and then uh, you put them all together and. Then you're on the road to Flavor Town, pal. Have you ever been eating one and you're like, oh, this is good, but then like you get a completely frozen bite in the center? Oh yeah, sometimes. Hmm. I'm not maybe not completely frozen, but definitely cold and wet, does and that's re- okay. I'll just it's power, okay. it doesn't power ruin through it. Yeah, I'll just, okay. it's a learning experience for next time. You know, I'm okay. always perfecting my craft. I'll add toppings too, like I'll smash up some avocado and put it on there. I'll Ooh, put some ketchup or some hot sauce or. So the ketchup you already thing, know what it is. The ketchup thing, uh, that was something I recently, I, I, if you had asked me about ketchup on a breakfast sandwich like th- two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and, and you suggested putting that on there, I would have called you a maniac. Uh, but I was watching this uh, this video of like some uh, one of those YouTube cooking people, and he was talking about uh, growing up in his Jewish household, and he said like there was always, he didn't like a lot of the food is mom cooked but there was always bagels around and he would make bagel breakfast sandwiches and he with and he put a 
ketchup on it. I'm like, that sounds crazy, but I'll try it. And it's actually really good. Yeah, I think um, ketchup on the breakfast sandwich, same with uh, salsa, is pretty common. It's common, yeah. But I, like I said, like this was the person, like whatever for whatever reason, this person convinced me to give it a shot. Right. Where before, like, and I'm not a ketchup hater by any means, but I do think it has its time and its place. And I there's I, there's select circumstances where I enjoy it. Right. And I, I if you would I would have speculated that the, there was no way that could be good, and I ended up liking it quite a bit. Yeah, you um, seem very particular about your uh, your choices. Like, I don't see you uh, rolling through the uh, McDonald's drive-through and getting an egg McMuffin. It, I mean, if I I don't eat really eat fast food, hardly ever. It's very very uh, far and few between if I do, and it's usually as a last resort. However, it, uh, I don't hate uh, breakfast fast food. Uh-huh. Uh, that is definitely the realm of stuff where I'm more inclined to get something like that. Um, I, yeah, now, I feel like it's pretty much always hot and flavorful, which is right. very crucial to a, uh, a hearty breakfast. And there are things that like they kind of keep better, you know, wrapped up in, in a hot in a high and hot held than other items would, you know? So it's, uh, I can, I can, I can, I can, I can do those ones. Now let's say, if but you, you like, uh, you like fancy, like, uh, condor eggs on like a diamond encrusted croissant. I mean, if I can get it, sure. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, I am per, I am particular particular about what meats go on what type of bread, you know. So if if my vessel is different, if it's a croissant or, versus an egg McMuffin or a, a yeah English muffin or a bagel, it's going to alter what what a uh, meat choice I put on it for sure. Right. And do you name the vessel every time you have a breakfast sandwich? Do I name it? It's like yeah, it's like this the, you know, the USS Wednesday morning, pal. Oh my god, I should. I'm going to start doing that now. <laughs> I I know that vessel is an appropriate term and we're all adults, but it's hard for me not to laugh and, <laughs> and think of a way to make fun of that. It, I mean, it's great. Uh now let's say so if you were to go out and or, like you're saying, I'm not doing the uh, the frozen breakfast sandwich, but I'm at a diner, right, or someplace that serves breakfast, and you're ordering a breakfast sandwich, and it has an option like choose your bread, choose your meat, etc. You know, like what would what would be your go-to? Oh, I like a croissant or yeah. a, an English muffin. The reason I'm saying that so Frenchily is because. Uh, we're going to be talking about French stuff uh, later in the episode, which that's I'm really true. excited You're correct. about. That's correct, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm pretty simple. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever had a breakfast sandwich just on toast. I um, hate that. It's not, I don't. But uh, normally, actually, I prefer a breakfast burrito if I can get it. Oh, just, sure, uh, yeah. Just roll up those eggs and cheese and some ham cubes into a, a tortilla, and I'm I'm with it. Mm-hmm. I hear that. Uh, yeah, I think my favorite. Yeah, that's that's the four one one. Yeah, I think my favorite uh, bread is a bagel. I, I can't. I like a bagel okay with some, mm-hmm. uh, like some cream cheese. Yeah. But uh, if I'm having a bagel sandwich, it's got to be like non breakfast foods for some yeah. reason. I don't know well, why. My favorite w- breakfast sandwich would be like a you know a bagel cream cheese. Some locks, maybe a red onion caper, you know that type of deal, dill. Um, but that's not an egg sandwich, you know. Right. It's. I mean, it's like, is it a breakfast sandwich? Yeah, you could eat it for breakfast. But I'd say, if anything, it's more of a brunch or light lunch sandwich, you know. 
I remember when I was a kid not knowing what brunch was, and my only point of reference was uh, The Simpsons explaining it to me. Right. Yeah. It's and, not, and it's not. It's not. It's not breakfast. It's not lunch. But you get uh, a slice of cantaloupe at the end. <laughs> yes. And so when I moved to the city and everyone went out for brunch, I went out for brunch and I was like, "Where the hell's the slice of cantaloupe?" <laughs> like a like a, you know, like a I had just crawled out of a cave and had no it, understanding I mean, of the it, modern world. It honestly still is, even though I just made like some sort of snobby remarks about when you can eat a lox bagel. It is still kind of an ambiguous thing what is breakfast versus brunch i think the main classification is you feel okay drinking booze at brunch yeah i think that is it's you're waking up late and having alcohol before noon and that's what makes it brunch and finding a way to justify it yeah (laughs) yep that's that's really it all right so great so we've established uh our differences in class you're a hoity-toity fruity and uh i am a low lowbrow everyman which only heightens my appeal with the fans and listeners, which I Correct. feel great about. Well, this is where the this is where the classic tension comes from. You know, uh, you are the blue collar uh, cinema goer, and I am the elite. You know, yeah, I'm defining whether or not these things are high art or just peasant swill. You know, yeah, you always wear a monocle and a tuxedo when you go to the movies. I do, yes, and I drive in a, a uh, like a little car little car that's uh doesn't yeah. have I, I, doesn't have a convertible i was saying like <laughs> i had a visual image of what i was driving and it's uh like those tiny little european convertibles but i for some reason i couldn't think of anything other than little car and no top um yes that is correct that is how i go to the film the, the cinema i'm sorry oh yeah you All have right. the yeah cine fantastique all right, so now that we've established these fictional uh, uh, per- personas for ourselves, yeah, we just spent a good twenty minutes talking about horse shit. So now let's yeah, so let's maybe talk it's about time the to movie. to give people what they came here for. Okay, today we did last time we did Alien, we did Aliens. Now it is Alien Three and Alien Resurrection. It's time to talk about Sigourney Weaver's haircut. Which is obviously the was the most important part of the entire series. Right, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, that's, I'm it just definitely got the most attention. Yeah, it, uh, it has nothing to do with anything, but no. Um, I'm really excited for this episode. I'm really excited to hear you your takes on these because I know these ones are ones that are particularly dear to your heart, particularly Alien Resurrection, which is probably the most maligned out of maybe all of them, except for Covenant, maybe. Oh, I can't wait to talk about Alien Resurrection. It's so going to be so much fun. But Alien Three. Mm-hmm. is probably going to be even more fun. There's so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. There's such a rich and storied history about how disastrous uh, the production and development of the film was. But I feel that when you really look at it, when you sit down and watch this movie in a vacuum, it's pretty good. I think that with the in a vacuum thing is is that you said is key because I think um, I really like Alien 3 a lot. And I think this is the first, though, however, this is the first film in the franchise where being an alien movie might be its biggest uh, uh, crutch. Or not crutch, uh, hand, uh, uh, what's holding it back the most, you know? Probably it's Monocle. It's Monocle, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, you know, you, you end up in a... In a uh, 
the system of like, are we, how much are we just retreading things we've already done versus how much new information we're, we're coming, like the setup to this one. Yes, it's on a prison planet. There's some different things, but it's the same basic initial premise of there's a thing we don't know about it. This person has, has information about her or at least a feeling about it. No one will listen to her. Then the thing emerges, you know, and we have to defeat the thing. That, those are those are kind of the three basic setups for alien aliens and this one as well it's just how are they delivered you know and maybe that p- portion of the story was starting to feel a little stale by the time it came out well and it makes sense that at the time right there's a progression of the films alien was very uh isolated and and tight and uh simple right then you you sort of double everything with aliens you get more aliens, you've got the evolution into the queen, you've got this big cast of space marines, you've got all of these things. And then in um Alien Three. In like nineteen ninety one a teaser trailer comes out. And that teaser trailer is for a movie called Alien Three that says this time on Earth, everyone can hear you scream. Before they even had a script, before there is even a movie, they said, we're taking this shit to Earth. Right. And immediately, whether you're a fan or a casual moviegoer, your expectations are going to be set to an impossible uh, high bar. And whatever you put out after that is invariably going to disappoint and upset people. Not to mention that the movie doesn't even end up taking place on Earth. Yeah, they were completely unable, after countless script versions and countless stories, some featuring Ripley, some not, some set, you know, on the alien homeworld, some set on, you know, different places that weren't a, uh, you know, prison at the ass end of space. Right. I mean, also, they like, they just couldn't deliver uh, on what they had promised, and so then when it finally comes out, and it's it's it can be seen as a regression, right? Right. Well, I mean that's I mean how do you deliver on that promise? Because the tagline there, like on Earth, everyone can hear you scream, is great, particularly on how it ties back to the original tagline of in space, no one can hear you scream. But actually, now think about well, what 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 happens when the alien gets to Earth? Is it Where's your story there? What's going on? How is this? Is it just an alien running loose through the streets, attacking people? Is it aliens breeding out of control? Is it just a disaster movie, essentially, with aliens in lieu of like a tornado? Uh, yeah, then the natural sort of line through there is is you know an outbreak of aliens on Earth, and the scope of that is massive. The budget right. for that is massive. The creative potential is massive, but also the the margin of error massive. Right. I just feel like it, it's a harder it's a harder story unless you say something that's that's incredibly ambitious and original and unique. It's a harder story to pull off in or or satisfying sort of pull off because if it is just aliens running loose in the streets, well then it's really not that exciting, is it? You know, uh, and it I don't know. It doesn't really 
it would just kind of boil everything down to like you know noises and explosions and nothing that actually makes this franchise special you know and it likely would have uh something like that would have just ended up seeming like more of aliens right it, it would have ended up being kind of the same thing and it would it's be like ca- how big how big can you get with the the queen and the nest and mm-hmm. how how big can you get with the you know military fighting the drones and things like that you know yeah Although there is a movie, uh, the kind of uh, 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 a Gamera versus Legion, uh, Legion from a few years after Alien 3 that kind of does the same plot and it's pretty good. So I take back everything I said. It's, <laughs> as long as there's a giant turtle that flies through jets on its uh, from its shell, you can pull this off. You should have just said at the beginning of this episode, when are we talking about kaiju movies again? I really should have, you know. I, don't know. <laughs> uh, I won't. I won't bring him up again for for the rest of the show. <laughs> well, here's so. I mean, I I don't want to get too far into the like the chaos of the production because there's much more qualified people who are closer to that who can speak on that. There's sure. tons of great uh, alien documentaries and interviews and you know all kinds of cool stuff like that. I encourage you to seek it out to hear the story of you know the studio and the producers and uh, the firing of the original director, uh, who I believe was uh, Rennie Harlan. Right. Yeah. Rennie well, Harlan, he, but he, he was in pre-production for like a year and then mm. uh, there he was like, uh, they're not going to let me do what I want. So I'm going to quit. And then they just fired him. And then they ended up cycling through some other directors landed on David Fincher, who is super hot from, directing music videos and had like a distinct visual style and was like you know young and doing a lot of cocaine and just could not be stopped and um that's kind of the gist of it uh but like i said the the documentaries go into super interest intricate detail and you know the script revisions and the different uh treatments i think there's even a book about uh that you know, just goes over all the different versions of Alien 3. Yeah, I mean, really, I think for the, the setup of this, all you really need to know is that it was a very uh, uh, chaotic set of filming with lots of reshoots, like you said, lots of rewrites while the movie's going on, lots of arguments between the actors, directors, producers, uh, fi- people being fired, rehired, and ultimately David Fincher disowning the movie. Oh, yes, he's super, super bitter and... Uh doesn't do interviews and uh you know good for him he's had a good career and if he wants to you know be mad about it still that's perfectly within reason but what i think we should really start off with is talking about the sort of biggest offense uh of this movie to the fans how how dare they how dare they when we last leave our main character of Lieutenant Ellen Ripley, right? She mm-hmm. got her... I mean, I, I think you could call it a happy ending from Aliens. Yeah, she's got absolutely. her. She's got her new man by her side, which is hinted at but not explicit. It's very cute and sweet. And then she's got her new sort of surrogate daughter to replace the one that died 50 years ago while she was in cryosleep. And, uh, you know, they're, they're off in their cryotubes and they're going to drift back into the core systems and uh you know just uh, go back to living their lives because the scourge of aliens are dead wrong 
wrong. What happened? Because unfortunately, your precious Disney princess, Ellen Ripley, does not get her happy ending. She does not get her man. She does not get her surrogate daughter. Because in space, everything is awful. And I've been saying this for years. Space is a terrible place that you should never go to. (laughs) But nobody listens. And so she ends up, uh, and I mean, this is a point of contention too, a alien face hugger has stowed away on the lifeboat. Or on the, is it on the, correct me if I'm wrong, is it on the Sulaco or are they on the lifeboat? They're on the lifeboat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, 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 no. They are on the Sulaco, but they're the... uh... The cryotubes that they're in have like an emergency lifeboat ejects. They're like the cryotubes yes. are in, so the lifeboat ejects out of the Sulaco. Yes, because then, there is a fire. Right. And the fire is caused by an either an alien or a face hugger that's on board. It's a. Uh, I mean, it's well, actually, there is a face hugger. There's an. We see an egg, and we see an open egg. We see like the egg, the face hugger scampering around. We don't see. If it infects anybody or if it locks onto anybody, we just, there's, it's somewhat ambiguous. It is, impl- what is heavily implied, however, because yes. the, the face huggers, the eggs open, the face huggers crawling around, and then it, uh, it, uh, cracks one of the, the glass screens on the, one of the cryo tubes. Right. Fire ensues, uh, lifeboat is shot, loose, lifeboat crashes on a planet. And everyone dies in the crash. Hicks is impaled. They there's even a shot of his body, and it's he's all gnarled up and grasping at his chest. It's a horrible death. This is a mm-hmm. violent movie, by the way. Very it's violent. It's a very gory and violent movie. And then um, uh, Newt is her her death is questionable at the open of the movie, but it is. It is pretty much undisputed that she drowns in uh, some kind of fluid. It's like I think the cooling liquid or whatever they yeah. use to keep people in suspended animation like sinks into her tube and she drowns on that. Yeah. So uh, so the most two most beloved sidekicks of the the franchise, the 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 fun loving Hicks and the uh, adventure seeking Newt are both murdered in like the first like two minutes. It. Uh, Bishop, who was the android who was already messed up, but, you know, messed up in a uh, repairable condition, it gets really messed up. So basically everyone you like except for Rip from the whole franchise, except for Ripley, gets killed off in two seconds. Yeah, I love when they do the little, uh, they do the little sort of electronic screens with the everyone's status. And Bishop is, uh, his is listed as like, uh, f- like functionally unavailable or something right. like that. Something very like dry and mechanical. I was like, he's trashed. He's absolutely trashed. And yeah, this is this. It's thing, dark. It's so dark. It's dark. And this is one of the things that a lot of fans hated. There were a lot of critics hated. A lot of people just watching the movie in general hated. They hated the fact that these characters just unceremoniously got bumped off. But I think it's one of the movie's strengths. Michael Bean hated it. Mm-hmm. He's like, why am I not in this movie? I thought I was going to be in it and get more money. And I mean, that makes you better sense put from- me in it. And then they were like, can we use your picture? And he was like, what? No, don't, don't, you can't show my dead body. And if you show my picture, you have to pay me. Yeah. And so then he, 
Apparently, he made almost as much money as he did on Aliens just by dying in Alien 3. <laughs> amazing. That is amazing. I don't know. Is this something that bothers you, or do you think it's one of the strengths? Of the no, I think I think it's exciting. I think it's fresh. Yes, it's edgy. Yes, it's such a '90s thing to do, but it it really is like a twist because you get the sense that at the end of James Cameron's Aliens, that everything's going to be fine, and the next time you see Ripley, uh, she'll probably be back to a normal life, and then whoa, oh, here comes some more aliens. But oh, instead, I'll- her suffering continues. Right, and I think, and I'll get. I want to talk more about this. And in addition to her suffering, she drags this entire prison full of yahoos into it, who right. they were minding their own business, just you know, keeping the lights on at this you know shithole refinery. They right. didn't. They didn't ask for any of this. I mean, they're not completely innocent, but in this case, right. In this case, I don't think they deserve to be eaten by. By this a was xenomorph. something beyond their control. Yeah, yeah control. they, they were serving yeah. their time. I, there, I, I want to talk more about these th- themes later on, but I think one of the key themes of this movie is sacrifice and redemption. Uh, and by starting your movie the way it does, it really it really puts those themes into motion. You know, it perfectly works perfectly for me. One thing you see too by the end is that. The Ripley that we saw at the end of Aliens, it, it's not like she she taped a couple of guns together and is all of a sudden a badass all the time. That is not mm-hmm. how it works. So you get a very realistic take where, you know, she was able to overcome her PSD or PTSD and uh, rise to the occasion to, you know, fight the queen and save Newt and all that stuff. But then here, she is completely shattered and wrecked by... Uh, the death of her her surrogate daughter and her her comrade, uh, and she is not prepared to deal with uh, another alien and you know what's going on. It's just it's it's almost too much for her. It totally is, and uh, it 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 adds like you'd like. I think you hit the nail on the head there when you say it's like oh, just because you you don't suddenly just you know tape two guns together and become the world's baddest you know alien destroyer even though she does do that there there's still this gives her more her character more humanity and more depth yeah than than her just being you know uh the terminator yeah in order to get even get back to a similar place she has to be provoked and then uh sort of all hope has to be lost mm-hmm. for her to get back to that place which I think is really interesting. And that's why I say, like, this wasn't the movie that people wanted or were expecting to get. But if you look at it as this is what we got and and take all of that other stuff out of consideration, it's a very good movie. It is a very good movie. And it is, yeah, totally, like you said, totally so different. And maybe it being an alien movie. It's a fucking ass- horror movie. I mean, it's a horror movie, but it's also... But even in more of a sense than, than I think Alien was. I think Alien was much closer to a thriller uh, right. where where almost Ripley is sort of uh, in... Cont- it's like closer to Silence of the Lambs where the, the xenomorph is, you know, Hannibal Lecter. Sure. 
I mean, I think you're right. It is definitely in a lot of ways, you know, more horrific, particularly in like violence score or stuff like that. Uh, but it also, in addition to that, it's like, you know, one thing I noticed I wrote down in my notes is this, this one has some of the weakest special effects of the, of the, uh, at least out of the first three, you know, I completely disagree. Well, let me, let me finish. I can't me, wait to fight you to the death. Let me finish. <laughs> and not, and not consistently, you know, not consistently. There's just some stuff that really like shine, like glares out as being, uh, uneven and not, not as being just like, Oh, that's definitely a special effect right there. And it kind of takes you out of it or normally would take you out of it, except this isn't a special effects movie, you know? No. Alien is a special effects movie. Aliens is really a special effects movie. This is not a special effects movie. This is like a very slow and deliberate, even though, and I say slow, it's a slow burn, but it's actually kind of fast paced in a lot of ways too. Yeah. Um, but it's slow in the sense that we just kind of have this, this gentle simmering of these character studies and the characters in this one collectively i think are some of the best if not the best overall you know we get a lot of fun broad stroke characters in aliens we get some nuanced interesting characters in alien but they are they still are still kind of like functionary you know like this person's here to do this this person's here to do that etc 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 some of the characters in alien alien 3 that you end up really liking are some of the more minor characters who don't even have that many lines you know like you end up invested and rooting for all of them even the ones like some even though some of these characters are despicable people which i guess we should probably talk more about like what's actually going on on this planet uh but they have the a very subtle realness and subtle humanity to them that gets you i get more invested in the individual characters in this one overall than i do in any of the other ones yeah, I mean, you've got this, uh, this, you know, uh, prison refinery essentially, where all these murderers and rapists and criminals are decided to stay, right? Because yeah, they didn't. It's a prison planet. Yeah, they didn't feel like they were going to, you know, just go back and be part of a society, and so they developed like this brotherhood, you know, rallying behind, uh, uh, you know, Charles Dutton. And uh, and they found like this like some they found religion and it's not specific if it's no uh, it's just it's, whatever it is it's not like oh are they Christians now are they Buddhists now or are they some made up space religion you know we don't know yeah it's but it, like, it ultimately it doesn't matter because what doesn't. what they're looking for is to just to find a semblance of peace and they've created this functioning community and uh, as one of the inmates puts it they've taken a vow of celibacy. And that includes women, implying that they've taken a vow of celibacy with each other as well, which is right. that's kind of a, a, a an interesting thing to think about. But they've they've found a way to exist without indulging their baser needs and instincts, you know, despite having done that in the past. And so then uh, all of a sudden, uh, you know, Ripley shows up and completely throws that delicate balance of an ecosystem into chaos which i mean then this is where i think i said like this one has some of the most complex and interesting themes you know like that right there is a complex theme that has nothing to do with the alien itself you know there's this there's this other tension going on which is like these these guys saying like well we're here we found religion and stuff like well yeah it's obvious you know it's if 
it's it's like it's easy to not have sex with women if there's no women around, you know. Mm-hmm. So like congratulations on that, and and Charles Dutton is is all all worried about the temptation that she is going to provide. But then one of the other themes in this is them growing to respect Ripley uh, and also make, making true amends for their crimes of the past by helping her and each other and not just, you know, pretending like, you know, uh, postulacizing about, you know, imaginary morals and stuff that when there's no, when there's no crimes to commit, you know? Right. Well, isn't that funny too? Like you have this story, uh, with an underlying, uh, you know, uh, uh, structure of an invasive organism coming in to wreck everything. Well, mm-hmm. Ripley also, you know, from the perspective of the inmates, she is also an invasive organism Correct. coming to yeah. wreck everything. And instead of, you know, eventually, like you said, eventually they make their peace with her and, you know, find a way to coexist. And, you know, she even kind of takes a leadership role. Imagine if they had taken that same approach with the alien. Maybe mm-hmm. things would have worked out differently. Mm-hmm. Maybe like they, the- maybe they could have just, uh, you know, tried to show it some respect and appreciation, and uh, and everyone could have lived in harmony. All the alien ever wanted to do was show everyone his coin collection. Yeah, and then no one would look at it, so we just killed them all. It's like Slender Man, you know, it just uh, <laughs> it has the has those big arms uh, for hugging. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this one it really does do a lot of. I don't. I mean, I don't want to just repeat myself again, but like it, it takes some it takes some pretty broad, or pretty uh bold, not broad, bold, uh, ideas, and incorporates them into what is seemingly just a space thriller, you know. Which I think Ridley Scott tried to do with Prometheus and particularly with Alien Covenant, but that is just very much in your face, and this is buried within the subtext a little bit more. Yeah, and I think we're going to be a lot less kind to uh, Prometheus and Covenant, but we'll see. You'll, we'll see. You'll well, maybe you will see. Be surprised, Keith. Even in the most fundamental sense, though, Alien Three is awesome because there is almost zero shots in this movie that aren't iconic. Like there's mm-hmm. th- this whole fucking movie looks like a like a baroque painting like it's so beautifully lit and all the sets are ominous and incredible looking and they reflect the design of the alien mm-hmm. there's like just these textures and colors and everything's grimy and greasy and just like imposing and it's such a mood and david fincher uses these shots like all these low wide angles uh, on his characters and then these overhead shots uh you know when he's building tension like there's all kinds of like really amazing stuff going on those those slow fades out to black and then fades mm-hmm. back in during some sequences like there's so much technique and craft on parade here like at the very minimum okay you don't like the story who cares turn the sound off and just look at it and then turn the sound back on because the sound design and the music in this is incredible too i agree holy and, uh- shit and in terms of that, like you just say it like it accomplishes all those things visually without ever really maybe with a few exceptions feeling overly stylized, you know, yeah. it has it has a very organic and natural feel in the way it incorporates all these uh, 
bolder and like you said baroque-esque looking uh look uh, appearances to it yeah and it's funny that i'm saying all this stuff and i was even surprised watching it i've watched this movie a, f- a few times in the last couple of weeks and Every time I watch it, I'm even more surprised at how well this was put together, despite all the problems and despite David Fincher walking off and and not finishing it. Um, And maybe story-wise it suffers, but at the same time, like there's so much to like about it and there's so much that works about it. And it really is like he was young enough and dynamic enough that he brought so much craft and style to it that it's just this like visual feast uh and and even down to the alien right but you were talking about how the effects suck or whatever you said and i was just i've just been sitting here stewing this entire time about it i can and even whether that was what you said or or it wasn't i've just been stewing about it because i think that this alien 3 is the best the alien has ever looked I think this is the definitive design. I'm not talking about the rotoscoped animated version. I'm talking about the uh, the the little Bambi uh, burster that comes out initially sure. that spills out of the dog. Oh yeah, um, and then also the full grown alien that's like hiding up in the ceiling and uh, in corridors. Uh, I just think the 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 face, the mouth, the head. Uh, even the arms and the suit, like everything about it is so beautifully sculpted, but it's so menacing. And it they really had a chance to refine everything, even from Aliens. And I know Aliens was a big leap forward, but this design is just so, it's so such an efficient uh, and sort of dynamic look to it. I think it's, I, I don't want to say perfect, but I want to say perfect. I, you will get no argument with me there about that. I was merely saying that there are a handful of uh, individual special effects that maybe aren't executed particularly well or are pretty jarring in their fakeness. You know. Oh sure. Not not in the not in the certainly not overall and certainly not in the design of uh, the alien or the setting or the you know space the way it looks in this one. I was just saying in comparison to the first two where, you know, like it's incredible how real everything feels and looks, you know, pretty consistently. And this one just has a handful of like, oh, well, that's definitely fake, you know? Yeah. I mean, like what? Uh, some of the... I mean, are you talking in terms of like puppets or like the, the attempted digital effects, like the, the alien d- on the ceiling and the things like that? The alien on the or? ceiling, the, yeah, stuff like that, you know, like... Uh, so yeah, some there is some puppet work, puppet work that looks pretty puppety at, at, in a couple of moments, but mainly yeah, like the the early digital effects. And I understand that they were trying to do something new and experimenting, and that's cool. But it just didn't it just didn't always work, you know. Agreed. However, I will say I watch both versions of this movie. There's the uh, much longer assembly cut, which I've never seen, um, and then the theatrical cut from 1992. The assembly cut includes a way more dodgy effects. And so watching the Mm -hmm. assembly cut first and then watching the theatrical cut, they actually do a really good job of hiding uh, those dodgier effects. And it was really, really kept to a minimum where you're mostly seeing the the suit uh, 
and then occasionally the puppet uh, version of the alien, at least until the third act when you see it, you know, running around the right, uh, yeah. the lead works and all that stuff. Well, also, and like, once again, I mean, like, you know, this is, I don't consider, even though this one is loaded with special effects, I don't consider it a special, special effects movie per se. And I would, I'm more forgiving of those dodgy effects in this than I would be in any of the other movies. Yeah. Because those movies are reliant more upon the, that to tell the story. I mean, this literally could just be a guy in a, you know, in, uh, uh, in like a black cloak. Yeah. It, 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 it's like a stage play in a sense is what I'm saying. You know, you could, you just need something to represent the alien. It doesn't have to be this ultra realistic, believable right. effect. Well, it's interesting you say that because there is some s- sort of shots of the alien that don't quite make any sense, but I mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Like there's a scene in, uh, I can't remember if it's in the uh, the medical bay or if it's in one of the hallways, but um, one of the the prisoners is getting attacked, and you can sort of make out that the alien is sideways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. its tail is whipping around, and it's doing some, but it's just having it situated that way. It doesn't quite make sense, but it's so jarring visually mm-hmm. that I'm totally on board for it. And there's a couple of shots like that. Um, that are just sort of like have you scratching your head at what you're looking at, but I I think that's cool. And it, yeah, I, I agree with you. And in terms you're talking about in, in the in the whole technical aspects of it, it, you know, it really is impressive how well a movie is put together given all of the, uh, you know, behind the scenes turmoil as you said. And it's it's surprising to me. It's like you know, if like obviously we don't know what exactly what fincher's original vision was even with the assembly cut no the assembly cut is not and and i can tell you too the the big differences in the assembly cut are uh it's much longer uh there's more effect shots uh specifically of the alien running around uh you get to spend much more time with the prisoners um getting to know them and kind of exploring the space uh Mm -hmm. of the prison colony and then um you also get a, a different opening um, with Ripley crashing on the beach and getting found. And then Gallic, the character of Gallic gets a much, much longer story and more of kind of a narrative. I don't know if I'd call it an arc, but he definitely like plays a bigger role and his actions and behavior make a lot more sense. Mm, okay. Um, but yeah, it's I don't think it's anywhere near close like to what Fincher really wanted to do. Yeah. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm just saying like, even if it wasn't his vision, like I would be, I would, I guess I wouldn't be that upset if this was the movie that got taken away from me and turned into something still pretty good, you know? No, like I was saying, after watching them back to back, it's hard to say that one is better than the other because they become two different movies almost, despite Mm -hmm. you seeing the same characters and, and plot points and things like that. The, theatrical cut is is super tight and straight to the point and you get just enough information to understand things um and it and it keeps keeps the pace moving uh kind of and builds towards uh that third act when it's time for ripley to kind of confront the fact that you know she's got an alien queen inside her and it's time to decide what to do uh and they also have to kill this alien before uh, the Whalen yutani goons arrive um, and then the assembly cut is a lot more of getting to know uh, the prisoners and just kind of, you know, 
uh, uh, drifting around and, and seeing what's going on in this, in this space. Um, and then there's also, uh, way more Charles Dutton speeches, uh, which I'm actually glad they cut out of the theatrical cut because once, yeah, once you get to his, uh, kind of his big rah, rah speech, uh, uh, towards the end, uh, it has quite a bit more impact. Okay, that makes sense because that's one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. Yeah, it's it's the. I feel like the assembly cut is almost uh, too much of him yelling at everybody. I got you. Yeah, so it's not it's not a general progression as character building to this point. It's just kind of like the the the. How do you say it? The it's rhymes. just more the same. Right. The yeah. thunder's been stolen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By him, by himself. Yeah, he steals his own thunder, which is pretty funny. Well, and you know, uh, well, since we're talking about we're talking about something that happens towards the end, and just the, the technical craftsmanship of this movie, how about that that the final like or the main final action scene, which is them trying to tra- trap the alien? I like. I much prefer the uh, earlier scene where they're using the uh, uh, they're mopping the explosive. Uh, uh, oh, that's great too. Yeah, I, I love the idea they set up this whole pl- initial plan to trap the alien and kill it with this explosive, uh, chemical. I can't remember what it is, but, um, uh, then the alien shows up and, uh, uh, fucks the whole thing up and it kills like half of the prisoners, uh, in the explosion. Uh, and and it's very demoralizing. And I thought that was a pretty cool, like, uh, we can't finish the movie yet. So we got to have this major setback to just to fuck everything up. Right. Well, I, I kind of include that as, as a portion of it, of, of the final action scene, because, one, it it changes their they have to change their plan on the fly, and it creates an incredible amount of tension. And that's what I think. Like, I mean, Fincher is somebody who's kind of known for building tense scenes, and you know, uh, bringing you know bringing like a lot of suspense and stuff, and just like nail biting type scenes. And for his first go out, I mean, this is this is pretty dang good in in, in terms of doing that. Yeah, I just love it because it uh, it's such a major setback for, you know, by the time it happens, you're starting to root for these goons. You've spent yeah. enough time with them. Some of them are becoming more likable than others. Uh, you know, some of the more kind of evil ones have either like receded into the background or they're already dead. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the, the more agreeable guys kind of take the forefront. Um, and then, gosh they literally blow it and then it's like now what they're already working with limited resources right. none of the technology works half of the the facilities are just shut down and outdated and can't function and so it's like well with no weapons and no systems what in god's name are you going to do yeah exactly and i love the the more agreeable guys portion because these guys are like even these more agreeable guys are still like serial killers and uh uh, just like murderers of various kinds and rapists. And yeah, stuff, I mean, yeah. Charles Dutton has, uh, he has his moment in the cafeteria when he's like, lady, you don't want to know me. I'm a murderer and rapist of women. And he like emphasizes that just so like, it's clear, like. Right. And, uh, and uh, but I mean that, once again, it ties back into like the bolder themes of this one where it's about sacrifice, redemption, redemption, gaining to understand people as humans uh and not just as 
fodder the way the alien looks at them, you know? Well, and I think, too, like, what everyone forgets, and I think what we were all forgetting by the time this movie rolled around, is that the alien isn't really the the whole focus of the story. Right. The, the alien is just a plot device, and it's ultimately, like, who are the real monsters? Even in the first Alien, it was, you know, it was about the company, right? Right. And even to a lesser degree, the infighting among the crew. Right. And then you move on to Aliens, and then it really comes to the forefront with, um, you know, uh, 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 Burke, you know, fucking everybody over for a percentage and, and all that that stuff, trying to smuggle the, the aliens back and s- sabotage the cryotubes, all that good stuff. And then now we get it in the third movie, and it's you have these literal human monsters here, Mm -hmm. and it's like, well, how do you how do you deal with those? And like, how do they live with themselves? Because they have a choice; they're not just animals living on instinct, right? Right. They might be damaged and they might be flawed, but like, you know, how are they coping with being a monster and being self aware of it? And then. You know, how are these other people going to deal with it, you know, and, and coexist and overcome something that's much, much worse? Mm-hmm. Totally. I totally so agree. So there's, there's so much great stuff going on here. If you don't like this movie, like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. You must hate movies. And I feel like I say that every episode. <laughs> but at the same time, like, man, even though the worst movie is still pretty good and flawed movies, which is the whole premise of this show... Movies that don't turn out perfectly or exactly how you want them, man, those are some of the best movies out there. I agree. And, you know, it's like you say, like, if you don't like this movie, I mean, obviously everyone has their own individual takes, opinion, whatever. But I think a lot of the times when you have movies like this, they have they're such highly publicized uh, about the negative behind the scenes stuff going on, which this movie was that. That, that that gets into people's heads before they've even seen it. Seen it. it really gets into critics' heads before they've yeah. seen it. So then a critic says something, you know, about like what a mess this movie is. Somebody watches Cisco uh, 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 and Ebert say that they want to sound smart, you know. So they go and see the movie and they're like, oh yeah, it was just trash. It was just this. It was that. It was stupid. This part didn't make any sense, you know. And frankly, I mean, like, uh, no. Critics aren't always right. Sometimes critics are saying things because they uh, think they're, that's what they're supposed to say. And lots of times critics recant on what they said. They go back and say, you know what? I wasn't fair to that movie and I've watched it again. And uh, it's actually really good. I mean, I've had that experience where I've not where I've been reviewing a movie, but I watched the movie once and didn't care for it and watched it again. I was like, what was I thinking that first time? That was a masterpiece. Oh, yeah. That happened to me with uh, Kong Skull Island. Oh yeah, okay. I, I just rolled my eyes the whole the first time I saw it. I was like, "This is such a try-hard, like lame, like over-the-top, like oh sure, it's Vietnam era and you're using Fortunate Son." Well, I get it. Yeah. Like I just had no love lost for it. And uh, but then the second time I watched it, I was like, "Holy shit, this movie is awesome!" Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, "What was going on with me that day?" Well, it's definitely I liked it the first time I saw it, but it's definitely a movie I liked a lot more the second time. So. Who knows? Yeah. It's funny, too, you mentioned uh, Siskel and Ebert because I feel like um, they probably had some some shit to say uh, about Alien 3. I know exactly what they had to say about Alien Resurrection, but... Um, I tried to find... I could not find a review of by either one of them for 
Actually, I think maybe only maybe I only searched for Roger Ebert's reviews of of uh, of Alien Three, and I couldn't find one. Oh, but here you, here's the episode. Do you know what Alien Three was in an episode with? Hmm. <laughs> uh, far and away. I can't remember what movie that is. That's is that... got Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. They put like it's like uh, they play like uh, Irish farmers. Right. Okay. And then also Sister Act. Nice. And Encino Man. Okay. That's some some real company right there. Yeah. Holy shit. I love Sister Act, but uh, I'm a big fan of Encino Man and actually Pauly Shore movies uh, in general. Oh, I did not know that about you. Yeah, we could. I mean, that could be holy crap. That could be an episode right there. That, that's I'm sure that would be such a polarizing. It would be an episode I don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think too a lot of people, uh, you know, they grew up on a Pauly Shore movies, and sure. they probably haven't seen them since they were, you know, teens or preteens. And so I bet if you watch some stuff today, like, I think we'd all have you know wildly different opinions. Um, right. So one thing I want to bring up was uh, Bishop. Mm-hmm. Because Bishop, he played a pretty pivotal role in Aliens. You know, obviously he was uh, sacrificing right. himself to uh, crawl through the the uh, access pipe and remote pilot the the ship down to save everybody, or at least whoever was left. Uh, in Alien Three, he is a pile of junk. He's barely a torso and a head on a table. Uh, and his head's all busted open and his eyes falling out and he looks truly disgusting. But the 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 big scene that he has after Ripley retrieves him from the uh the scrap pile is I think really cool and a a fun callback to the original alien. Mm-hmm. Um where they're you know they revive Ash and they're talking to him about the alien and trying to find out what the the secret you know uh company uh plot is to right. to retrieve the alien and all that and instead we get we get um bishop uh you know reading the flight recorder uh from the the sulaco and kind of helping ripley piece together what was happening uh when the their escape pod ejected and you know, what led to the deaths of um, uh, Hicks and Newt. Right. And uh, it's just a great sort of like slow down scene where, where you know, Bishop's got, he's got that white shit coming out of his brain and, you know, it's like gumming together his lips and he may, he cracks a joke where he's like, yeah, she's like, how are you feeling? And he's like, I can't feel my legs. <laughs> Or like yeah, my legs hurt or something like that. Yeah, it doesn't have any. Yeah, it really is a great scene, and you know, it's like I th- obviously I think one of the things people were disappointed with is Bishop's a fan favorite from the entire franchise, and to have him barely in the movie, I th- maybe bums people out. But yeah, the scene he's in is so good, and it is such a short scene. Like you said, it's a it's a fun callback to the first movie, but also never is like does it feel like it's winking at you about it, you know? No, and. It's really a kind of a it's a, a touching scene too because it's like it basically like he gets brought back online for a few moments, and then him and Ripley are talking and it's basically two other than the the important part of getting the necessary information and all that it's basically two friends knowing that this is the last time they're ever going to speak to each other mm-hmm. you know and they're they're saying goodbye without saying goodbye, 
and it's just so well executed and it, it, and particularly like you said situated where it is you know a good little slowdown scene it it's one of the cruxes of the movie i think yeah i agree it's weird too because you also get a sense that ripley in addition to saying goodbye to her friend she does act sort of cold uh yeah towards him and it is sort of like you know it's great to see you but like i'm not i'm not even close to the same person i was the last time i saw you like right. when i wrapped you up and put you in your own cryo tube uh i was a completely different person and like i'm in a completely different world and uh i'm going to i have to shed off the last of you know it feels like that's kind of ripley's arc too is she's got to shed off you know the last of everything from her old life because right. it's all it's all been taken away and it's all gone and it's now it's just her and this alien and i mean she even has that line earlier where she says is it earlier or later it might be later but she says you know you've been in my life for so long now i can't remember anything else right and it's like this is the 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 ultimate kind of finale is coming it's mm-hmm. it's her and the alien and it's either you know if she's going down, she's gonna she's gonna take that uh, the xenomorph with her, right? Well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of brings us to the end of the movie, it you know? Sure does, yeah. Ripley, after you know she's feeling sick and scans her body and finds out that there's a an alien inside her and deduces that it's a queen uh, because the alien won't attack her and won't hurt her. And actually, in the assembly cut, you. Uh, you get an even stronger impression of that because earlier on, uh, one of the uh, prisoners he finds a uh, the queen face hugger. So it's a special looking face hugger, uh, oh, and really? he thinks that they just pulled it out of the water when they pick up um, the the uh, escape pod because uh, it looks like you know a crustacean of some type. But uh, yeah, he just pull hangs it up or uh, pulls it up in the light by the tail and he's like oh what's this or some shit like that uh-huh. uh it's pretty cool it's a very quick scene it's like only a few frames honestly but yeah it's pretty cool uh so yeah uh um we arrive at the the climax of the movie and ripley's got the uh a queen inside of her um the wayland yutani goons uh have arrived and it's just uh wow i think it's just her and morse and uh, 85 are the the only people left everybody else is dead yep and she's about to throw herself sacrificially into a tube or a vat of molten lava or whatever metal to kill herself in the alien it's lead they're in a lead works lead lead yeah lead. Yeah. lava which is crazy because i I think terminator 2 came out the same year right yes yeah so there's this whole like oh god we're doing that too (laughs) oh wait was wait was uh was um alien 3 92 or 93 that's 92 then yeah the same year yeah so basically this yeah they're doing they're doing the same thing but i guess you also get a little kind of second mini uh um bishop appearance don't we in a, in a weird way yeah kind of and i mean there's it's sort of hotly debated about whether or not um uh the man that shows up uh is a robot or a man Right, but it's like it's Lance Hendrickson again. He's claiming that he's the real inventor of the Bishop robot, and 
he wants to help Ripley and like freeze her so he can safely remove the alien and destroy it. Yeah, and we all know that's a lie. And of Ripley knows a that's a lie, and she's not having any of it, so she shuts herself off and uh and then it's time for like i mean i'd argue that this is probably one of the the other more controversial moves um as yeah ripley uh you know does sort of a reverse swan dive off the platform into the the molten lead as the alien bursts forth from her chest and she grabs onto it um you know obviously in order to ensure its death but also Kind of as like, I mean, what is that, that moment? Is it like, you know, everything else in my life is dead. Uh, so I guess I am your, your mother. I guess I'm going to say this, like, this is actually not her sacrificing herself for committing suicide in this scene. Uh, but this is this, the way that scene is shot. I like the, what ha- like, I like the fact that she sacrifices herself, but the way it's filmed is probably one of my least favorite portions of the movie. Uh, it's definitely not like a deal breaker for me or anything, but it's I just feel like a little cheesy. One, I uh, we talk about like a lot of the subtle, you know, subtle uh, themes and tones, and there's a lot of religious and biblical tones in it. When she jumps off, it's not just a reverse swan dive. She's doing oh, a full Christ pose, full Christ pose, which yeah. is like just so heavy handed. Yeah, and then. When the alien jumps out, to me, that just seems like... A, I understand what you're saying about her embracing it and like, oh, this is the last life in me or whatever. But it, to me, it just seems almost like a a very cheap, schlocky moment that is out of place in this movie. You yeah. Know? If this was humanoids from the deep, 100%. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it, it, it also kind of calls itself out as maybe that was a... Um, uh, that was a rewrite or a note or oh, something it, that someone was like, oh yeah, we got to have the alien pop out of her. It totally we feels gotta like have it. that's a studio command. It's like, well, we got to see this alien. You know, we've talked about it the whole movie. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Just, it's a little too perfect. Yeah. Well, and how do you, okay. So then how do you <laughs> feel about, um, uh, I mean, I like the 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 sort of motif of the alien, you know, being the you know Ripley's investigating through the first half of the movie, trying to figure out if anyone was infected. All the while, not realizing that it was her all along. Oh, that's right? great. Then she finds out, and she's sort of having to cope with um, having this alien inside of her and knowing of her impending doom, while also trying to help sort of her newfound comrades and uh, and also knowing that it it prevents the alien from killing her. And so she's like, she's doomed, but she's also immortal in the sense mm-hmm. uh, or invincible rather. And, um, and then finally it's, you know, it's time to die. And, uh, you know, she's begging, you know, people to kill her through, you know, half of the movie. And so finally here it comes and this is it. This is the end of the series. There's nothing after this because there's no more aliens left. Right. At least we can presume, um, and then this becomes the end of Ripley's story. So if if this was the final movie, if there were no more alien movies after that, how do you feel about this ending? Oh, the ending I like. I I like the ending a lot. Uh, like I said, it's just the way that particular scene or uh, was filmed just seemed a little a little a little corny or a little cheesy. 
Not what not not the ending on paper by any means. It, it that that is very it is it is in tune with the entire series and it is in tune particularly in this these like we said these kind like what is the the main two main themes in this movie sacrifice redemption sacrifice redemption sacrifice i mean it's all it's all right there i think a lot of times killing off the main character or the protagonist i maybe i talked about this in the last episode it can just be kind of like i think a, a cheap way to elicit an emotion at the end uh, but it is not certainly not always, but a lot of times I feel like that's how it's used. And the, but in this scene, it's it's inherent to the narrative. You know, it's it's the it's the only conclusion to this to this series, the way it's been presented up until this point. Yeah, and I feel like this is also indicative of a just a space story. Right, because you exist in this world where, uh, if you are out traveling too long, the, your whole life passes you by. Your friends grow old and die. Your family grows old and dies, and you're expected to pick up the pieces. So she tried to do that with right. in Aliens, right? Ripley, she got back on the horse, got out there and faced faced the aliens down, and then she created this surrogate family. And that's when she picked up the pieces and you left with this sense of hope. But then that was lost too. And then here she is, you know, all the way out at the end of almost known space, you know, with these criminals and these human monsters and like, where, where else is there left to go? Mm-hmm. Right. This, this evil corporation seemingly is able to hunt her down anywhere she goes. This alien creature is able to hunt her down anywhere she goes. So what exactly is next for her? Even if, even if she survives this, what is right. next for her? There's right. nothing. So it's just time to it's just time to be done with it. It's time to yeah. be over. Well, I mean, what, and what and also what is a large portion of these movies? It is about life cycle, you know. Yeah. Uh, the life cycle of the aliens and how they and how they use humans within their life cycle and she, Ripley's coming to the. I mean, it's very. Like I said, without, with, beside from the overt religious imagery and the like, corny alien bursting out scene, it is once again another subtle, complex layered storytelling within this, you know, monster movie. You know, uh, which I of course believe that monster movies are capable of doing that, but are are rarely given the opportunity to. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's a really, it's it's really really well done and it deserves a lot more respect and recognition for what it does do yeah i would much rather watch a movie that aims high and misses than um well that's not true i like plenty of movies that aim low but yeah in this case i'm glad that they they did what they did and i don't even think this movie misses though no no but i but i understand your point yeah yeah and like i said it's you know it it it, it at the end of the day, it's not the movie that, you know, if if we had the ability to ask for it, you know, this wouldn't necessarily be the one that, that anyone would have asked for, but it's what we got. And it brings a lot to the table. Agreed. And, you know, and we have all this thing about this impactful, subtle conclusion and where else can we go from here? And that just goes all out the window in Alien Resurrection. 
that was an excellent transition. However, I do want to mention God damn it, Keith. <laughs> one one of the most important things from Alien 3 that I forgot to bring up earlier is it was the initial uh so you get the 20th century fox like dun, 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 yeah. and then it instead of going, you know, uh, uh finishing like normal it does the like the just sort of distorted like stinger uh, mm-hmm. effect on the theme, which is awesome because no one did it at the time, and it really sets the tone for like you think this is just a movie, you think this is uh, something you've seen before, and you're just gonna sit there and watch, and it's you're gonna be safe. No, everything you know is about to change. Well, and- I mean, now I have something to say too. It's like you're right. This movie does subvert expectations and people go into the movie with expectations and they sometimes get upset when their expectations are subverted but like why you know like that's part of the the part of storytelling that's part of drama i mean one expectation that's uh subverted for the characters is one thing that's done really kind of a cool little thing is at the end when uh, the we don't know if it's another rogue android or the creator of Bishop, but it's Lance Hansen, same person. He shows up again. We love Bishop. We're supposed to trust him, and then we can't trust him. You know. Yeah, this familiar face all of a sudden becomes a stranger who's like saying all these things and doing these things to to placate our fears, but it's highly suspicious. Yeah. Well, you have to transition to Alien Resurrection. Now. I know. I'm going to think of something. I already did mine, and you know, I, you you just destroyed it so yeah it's all on you now bud Well, luckily, after all the bleakness and violence and depression and suicide uh, of Alien 3, we can finally have a little fun because it's time to talk about Alien Resurrection. Oh, my God. (laughs) Guys, uh, it's been really great uh, doing this podcast for all of you, uh, but I have to announce my retirement (laughs) from the show. (laughs) Perfect. It's my show now, and... I'm going to spend the next 10 episodes talking about Alien Resurrection minute by minute. <laughs> I actually like that. That was fun. But yeah, this one also is all filled with a lot of those same things uh, that you just listed off about that are present in Alien 3. But boy, oh boy, does it have a lot of a good time with it. Hey, hey, here's what we're not going to do. What we're not going to do with Alien Resurrection, we're not going to talk about the story we're nope. not going to talk about character arcs. Nope. We're not going to talk about plot. Well, maybe we'll talk about plot, but it's not about that. We're going to talk about goo. We're going to talk about slime. We're going to talk about different colored goo. Self-loathing robots. Ron Perlman. Some Feet. other guy. Dan Hedaya. Dan Hedaya's hairy shoulders. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> There's a there's a shot where he gets out of bed and it's literally like there's like just fur protruding out of the sides of his tank top. 
It's incredible. One thing this movie, I mean, this movie is probably, like I said earlier, the most maligned out of probably all of them. Oh, yeah, definitely. And and I was guilty of that, too. I remember seeing a trailer for Alien Resurrection, and I saw Swimming Aliens, and I saw Winona Ryder, and uh, uh, I saw Ripley with, like, her slick back hair and some of her zingers, and I was like, well, that seems really stupid. And I never saw it. I didn't see it for years uh, when it came out. And what? But now this is, without a doubt, the mother of all nutty sequels. It's up there for sure. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say without a doubt, but it's definitely up there. And in terms of, yeah, I think it does do something that was probably a smart move at the time. Not... Given, given how maybe you've gone as far as you can go with the Alien franchise in its current form, at this at least in that moment of history, and particularly with how it ended, where it's like Ripley's gone. Well, if you want to bring Ripley back, if you want to do another Alien movie, if you want it to not feel stale and repetitive, you just got to get fucking weird. Yeah, you got to bring in a French director. Uh, you got to bring in the craziest young writer you can possibly think of. Um you have to cast the absolute wildest cast in maybe sci-fi history. I I challenge you to find a cast nuttier than Alien Resurrection. I mean, it's pretty nutty. It's pretty nutty because not only did so this this movie came out in 1997, right? It was directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet, and so he came from from France. And in tow, he bought, bought, he brought this just cadre of like wacky French performers. Yeah, I mean, and they all great, do an incredible job. He, uh, he's oh, there's only like what, there's not there's only like one French actor in it, isn't there? Uh, the guy that plays Vries, and uh, who else? Uh. I think that's it. Oh yeah, I guess Brad Dourif's not not French. Not at all. J. E. Um, Freeman. Yeah, why didn't I think there were more French people? I don't know. I, it um, seems like it. But it is a it is, well. The movie is has a very. It has a very uh, as a f- vibe and feeling. I think it's very familiar to uh, Europe European cinema that was popular in America. At that point in time, not necessarily in its grossness or its wackiness, but maybe more just it's like camera work and, uh, uh, you know, production design. Perhaps, yeah. You know, which it, those uh, is, that's all the best stuff. It's really it's a kooky movie. And uh, it's a movie that I, I, I go back and forth with a little bit. You know, I knew myself. you'd say that. I knew that yeah. I, I was waiting for this because I know as sort of domineering as I am about my love for this movie, I mm-hmm. definitely understand that people, especially someone like you, uh, you're not seeing it through the same eyeballs that I am. Well, I think it just kind of depends on my mood. <laughs> yeah. Because I've probably, I have not, I've seen this one the least out of the original four, but I've seen it multi, I still have seen it probably like three or four times. And, there are times when I've watched it where I'm just like fully on board, like let's go. And there's times where I'm just kind of like, ah, you know, it, 
it, it's fun it's goofy but it's also i can say this is, it's it's pretty bad in some ways too you know yeah it just depends on I, I think it literally depends on what kind of mood i am when i'm watching it and i'm i'm perfectly receptive to that however i think and this is where Siskel and Ebert and myself are diametrically opposed. I think that this movie contains some of the most jaw-dropping images and moments in the entire series. I agree with that, actually. It's pretty fucking unbelievable. And what we got was, even though the Aliens comic books, uh, you know, through Dark Horse and even Marvel in the 90s had been pretty prevalent... We weren't really going to get a, you know, a, an alien movie on that level until Resurrection happened, and then we got it. Well, that's an interesting thing to say, too, because when you say, like, you're talking about, like, the side stories of, like, the comic books and stuff, despite the fact that, like, the main po- plot of this movie is that they resurrect Ripley through by cloning her, like, into a half or into a human part alien hybrid. Uh, I think this movie would actually work better as a side story that didn't include Ripley, you know, or right. At least all the, or at least all, at least all the other parts of it, like the, you know, the, 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 the pirates, you know, the space pirates and stuff and all those characters. And, uh, uh, so rather than keeping Ripley alive, they they sort of use the the clones to breed the aliens and then discard the clones. Or I, or, I mean, just take those other elements. Those elements, like there's character, character maybe the, what I'm saying is the characters would work better in a side story. Yeah, you know that didn't have anything to do a side alien story that didn't have anything to do with cloning or Ripley. You know, just in another world where aliens are discovered in some other non related way. Uh, those elements would work better on their own. And I think if they, if it wasn't a direct sequel to the Ripley storyline, it probably would have been better received. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it, it, it's at this point, people have sort of internalized Ripley and taken ownership of the character to a point that uh, already when there's a new alien movie, they're skeptical and crossing their arms and saying, oh, yeah, well, you better impress me this time. But then, oh, how dare you? How dare you, uh, you know, bring back this character that was supposedly dead? And it's not even the same one. It's just a, a, a dirty, filthy clone. Mm-hmm. Well, it is a dirty, filthy clone, but like they get into some because what it, like they crossed by accident. There's a little bit of alien dna that gets crossed with her and yeah the idea is that uh, the dna is from her time on fury 161 and so or is it 161 or 151 uh who cares i don't know it's very, i think i think i think it's six one very crucial but uh <laughs> so the dna is from that time so essentially they're cloning the ripley that had the alien inside of her right and uh every time uh you know, they, they cook up a new batch of Ripley, uh, that, yeah, that DNA gets all mixed up. So it's like a fly, the, the fly almost. Right. And, and so, I mean, she's more human than she is alien, but she still has, yeah, she has her. those traits and a connection to the aliens and they still are able to, uh, uh, extract full grown alien, uh, well not full grown, but, uh, uh, you know, so full sized 
you know, chest bursters uh, right. from each of the clones. But it's that cloning process that is kind of my favorite piece of the setup because without that cloning process in order to sort of perfect the clone, you wouldn't get all of the failed clones. Which is one of the great, like, I do oh. agree that that scene is without question, like, one in the best scene in the movie and one of the most, like, just, like, startling, jaw-dropping scenes in the franchise. Yeah, an incredible effects moment and even a dramatic moment. Um, oh, certainly. Some, some of the most sort of depth uh, and emotional resonance I think I've ever seen for a clone in a movie like you don't usually give clones a whole lot of uh uh emotional range but going in and seeing all of the failed experiments that led to you yeah you know and the seeing forms. them as your brothers and sisters and whatever you want to call them uh and then and then ending on one that is still alive that is barely functioning and begging for death because it's a, just an abomination of nature oh well, one, one of the things that this movie does do that's in terms, like you say, in the emotional resonance of clones, which is kind of a, just like a funny phrase, but so many movies that involve clones, what is the what is the dilemma? There is a person who is the original, and then there's the clone, and generally the clone doesn't know that it's a clone or something, and it has to, uh, you know, confront the real one, and then yeah. decide... You know, which there's something interesting in that too, but it's just kind of been played out quite a bit. Yeah, the loss of identity and uh, am I I not valid because I'm not the real one kind of thing. That that whole argument has been has played out in a lot of movies, and not and not just in clone stuff, but the ways things people have been duplicated in other fashions or whatever. You know, Uh, this one she knows from the get. You know that. As soon as she kind of becomes conscious, she knows that she's not actually the original Ripley. You know, she knows uh, that she's a clone, and it's more about it's more about uh, trying to find some sort of place within it. You know, within that, within the world where you know that you're not the original from the, from the onset. It's precisely what my life is like. It's like they they wrote down my daily experience and put it in a movie you you know you're not a clone right (laughs) sometimes i feel like it like when i you know you go to uh the supermarket and you see someone wearing like a pretty similar outfit or like the exact same jacket it just it turns my day on its head i once saw someone who looked like a startlingly like a slightly younger version of me like someone who was maybe like 10 years younger than me at the grocery store and it was it was shocking because i remember what i looked like when i was 10 years younger than i am now <laughs> well i guess i was actually younger at, than i am now when i saw this because this was a little while ago but it was like i was like 25 and this person was like 15 and i was like holy shit and i was like wondering like well wait did someone clone me and it was just growing up at a different rate you know when i was 10 years old did someone yeah. take my dna and clone me i, I don't know I feel like mathematically speaking, it's inevitable that there's going to be, you know, there's only a sort of a finite mix of traits that eventually you're going to see someone. Of course, yeah. But I recall there being a photo of a bunch of people uh, dressing or imitating uh, you. Yes. And there was one guy who looked exactly like you. 
he had like short hair and a mustache and he was wearing like a yellow t-shirt and some jeans yeah that was a clone yeah so i was already i mean what you're saying is not shocking to me because i've already seen plenty of examples of <laughs> you existing in parallel with yourself so well, there we go yeah. Um, but enough talk about how we've been cloned. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So we'll, we'll catch up to speed here. It is 200 years after Alien 3. It's so long after Alien 3 that even uh, Wayland Yutani is now sort of a joke. There, there's a character, one of the scientists, remarks about Wayland Yutani being this sort of this silly evil corporation that, uh, you know, wanted to profit off the, the alien and whatever. But, you know, fuck those guys because this is a military operation. This is the right. United Systems military uh, ship that is operating outside of legal space, doing kind of a black bag uh, operation to, uh, you know, I don't know, do something cool with the aliens. I don't know what, but they got them all. They got them all caged up. They got a few caged up, and uh, they've got some some people on ice that they're gonna feed. Uh, uh, feed to some face huggers and they're uh, they're just doing some sick shit out, out in uh, out of the way space so which i imagine mm-hmm. space is going to be like that it's going to become international waters where people oh, just go up and start yeah. doing really weird shit just that's, because it's out of sight that is definitely going to happen yeah um this it, it, i do think that's funny though one of the fun like i you know, how they make William Tani a joke but also just like how bad these people want the alien. Like by this time, this movie rolls around and it is 200 years later. And it's like, man, they just won't stop trying to get this alien. Like, like, is it really that valuable? I wonder if that's sort of, cause Joss Whedon wrote this, this movie and you know, yes. he's a clever guy. I guess. What, whatever you think about him, he's a clever guy, or at least he was when he was younger. He has some clever ideas. Yes. Yeah. So is that his commentary on the fans? They're like, oh, two, 200 years later, these idiots are still going to be clamoring for this, uh, these goddamn alien movies, despite the fact that, like, the studio's never going to make anything cool and we're out of ideas and, you know, it's all kinds of horseshit. Uh, I think that's kind of funny. I, he also, I heard him say something once about it that was, like, it was, he, I mean, he's someone who also is not happy with how it turned out, just like Fincher and his... Yeah, criticized it a bunch, but I heard him like there was a, an interview with him from before the movie was actually released or something where he goes, says something to the effect of like, "Oh, this one's gonna make the last ones look like a puppy show or something," you know. So yeah. he definitely had a glib uh, attitude towards at least the sequel, but also seemingly towards the movies that came before. Like maybe he wasn't even necessarily a fan of them, or I don't know it. Yeah, was he was very- sort of young and cool enough at the time that he could be to kind of take that position and have that kind of attitude. It of almost like, seems like he's like those are your, these are your grandpa's alien movies yeah. or something, you know. I mean, like, I guess I would too, though. If I grew up, you know, loving aliens, but someone was like, write a better one, I'd be like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, and obviously it would be. I think what we're seeing with a lot of uh, franchises that are trying to either reboot or make a, a, a delayed sequel to them certainly not the case in all of them but they end up just being such obvious rehashes of the original yeah you know which is sometimes it can be okay that can be okay and it's fine whatever but it's definitely 
like you may not you may not make a bad movie, but you don't make a movie that is going to you like you watch it like oh yeah that was fun that was fine I, I'm not I'm not offended by by it in any way it was perfectly palatable it was like a decent pizza you know I think it's really tough I think it's a, a nearly impossible challenge to do something uh, effective in that way just because we as an audience it's nearly impossible for us to look at something with fresh eyes. Right. And then you've got all these moving pieces and all these interests that go into a movie, and it's hard for them to do something totally new. Um, and even when you do do something totally new, then the audience doesn't accept it. Well, okay, and then if you try to pander to the fans and try to recreate what you've done before, well, then it looks, you know, too familiar. Mm-hmm. And And so this sort of perfect zone of freshness is just just the tiniest little sliver and like who could possibly be creative enough and also line up all the pieces to to you know make the magic happen certainly i mean i guess maybe the problem is 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 relying too heavily on continuity or at least i don't mean like didn't necessarily disregarding uh, previous installments, which is fine if you want to do that too. Like you know, like oh, we're just this is going to be a direct sequel to the first one, not the other ones. I don't have a problem with stuff like that, but also just like in continuity of like saying like, does it really? How does it really need to connect back to the other installments in this ser- in the series? You know, it can be in the same universe. Those things could have happened. Yeah, it can follow you know, the same rules. The same rules, you know, and you could be like, oh yeah, uh, definitely there was these this situation that happened with. Uh, Nostroma and all that stuff, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be the same exact concept, you know. You can, you you can do something unique within the world and universe, particularly if you're talking about what's happening in space and other planets and stuff. It's like, uh, we can we could get a, an alien movie that takes place on a different alien world, or. Or an ice ice planet, or a lava planet. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. I mean, <laughs> you know, like that's just changed. The, you, I don't know. I'm, I'm not. I don't think I'm being as articulate as I want to be in this moment. But uh, sometimes, like, like I said, the, this would work better as a side story. Sometimes the side stories are the more interesting stories. You know. Yeah. Not the ones that are trying to recreate the magic of the original. Well, luckily, this Alien Resurrection doesn't uh, recreate the magic of the original, but it does recreate the magic of aliens. Uh, when you've got uh, sort of this ragtag group of uh, space pirates or smugglers or whatever the shit they are, mm-hmm. and then you've got uh, the crooked military and like insane scientists. Uh, I mean, Genuine, genuinely insane scientists. Oh, genuinely. Uh, Brad Dourif uh, opens the movie. Uh, cutting open a Ripley clone uh, in order to get a chest burster. Once they get it, he is just pleased as punch. And then he goes into the um, holding cells and starts licking the goddamn windows because he's in love with the aliens. It's, I mean, there you go. There's a story. Why don't we focus more on that? This scientist who falls in love with a fucking xenomorph. Yeah, and he puts like a wedding dress on it and tries to marry it. (laughs) This is the movie I want to (laughs) see. Brad Dourif is the man to do it. He's he's great, and he gets a que- he gets a cool little turn. Even though he's not in the movie for very long, he gets a cool little turn as this, you know, sort of twisted scientist who's very excited about his experiments and thinks what he's doing is very important work. And 
he's trying to uh, do behavioral work with the aliens and he's hitting them with steam in order to kind of train them for obedience. Well, and, those are um, the, mo- the most interesting characters in this in this movie are the doctors. Oh, definitely. You know, what, like they're not the flashy bad boy pirates. They're not our classic her- hero Ripley, um, but they they are definitely the ones that are the most morally ambiguous in a movie filled with morally ambiguous characters. You know, they are right at the top of just. Uh, or maybe it's not not ambiguous. They've made moral decisions to disregard morals, you know. Well, their end game doesn't necessarily seem totally clear either. It Brad Dorif doesn't strike me as the type of guy who's like, ah, oh, yes, the military applications of these aliens will be uh, tremendous. Right. Like I I don't think that's why he's here at he, all. He wants to do it to see if he can do it. You know, that's why that's why he's there and other people. Yeah, there there are some. He's just got a big science boner. Yeah, I mean, there's this. This is the movie that could focus more upon. Are you this... in the bathtub? What are you doing? Well, I'm scratching my foot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good stuff. <laughs> I'm not even gonna go on with what I was saying. Oh <laughs> man, Alien Resurrection is fucking awesome. It I don't. Great. I don't it even is... want to talk about like anything except for Ron Perlman's dialogue and. Yeah, everything's covered in slime, and uh, uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet is hopelessly French. He's so French. Obviously, he cast a French actor, but then he also had to work in, uh, you know, Dan Hidea plays the sort of crooked military officer in charge of whatever the fuck is going on here on this, this military vessel. What does he do at night? He's in charge of a black bag military operation. What does he do at night? Does he count his money? Does he, you know, like torture animals? Does he, what does he do? He shines his boots. Yeah. And you know why he shines his boots? Because that is the perfect, uh, perfect notion from a French guy. Oh, yes. Oh, what is this, uh, le soldier American doing at night? Oh, he is, uh. He will shine his boots to make them perfectly black for the daytime. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and to to uh, for people who have not necessarily seen this movie or just aren't familiar with the director, this is the director of most famously known for Amelie. And and also City of Lost Children. City of Lost Children. Yeah. And those not- two movies, when I was in high school, specific, I think like a junior and senior, those two movies were like all anybody ever talked about at least like the the sort of fringe kids like the art right. art kids photography kids newspaper you were not kids in high school when amelie came out are you sure 2001 you graduated that year no i graduated in 2002 oh you did well take it back yeah take it back when so did wait, you graduate 2001 oh weird i thought we graduated we graduated high school the same year no you must have been held back I guess so. <laughs> Wait a minute. I graduated before you. That doesn't make you. You would have been held back. That's how it works in Le High School American. But yeah, I mean, this is definitely like uh, most wide, widely known for Amelie. And then cult, like obviously CS Last Children is more of like cult notoriety. But if you've seen those movies, you're going to, but haven't seen uh, Alien Resurrection, they're an amalgamation of those two movies. And. I think this would be amongst genre nerds. If this, I mentioned earlier that maybe the the the, 
the thing working hardest against Alien 3 is the fact that it's an alien xenomorph movie. That is definitely the case with this one. Because if this one was not tied to the xenomorphs, this movie would definitely have a bigger, at least cult following. Oh, yeah. It would be a classic. If it was just yeah. some other other property or just creature. Just a weird, weird, weird genre movie. Yeah. You know? Like it was, if it was a standalone movie. Uh you better believe it. That it incorporated the same ideas and themes and just have a different alien in it. Yeah, it has tons of classic moments and set pieces and lines of dialogue and just, wow. It's hard. It's actually kind of hard to talk about this movie just because of how kooky it is. And it's like uh, how, like, if you, like, you just kind of have to watch it and comment it on yeah, it as it's, yeah. as it's unfolding. You know? I was talking about how that the, the, the boot shining is like a, a symptom of, Frenchness, but you know what else is? It, we get a scene of the uh, the pirate captain and his lady friend, and uh, what are they doing in bed at night? They're not having sex. They're not uh, playing Scrabble. He's giving her a foot massage. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, we there's nothing more erotic than rubbing the foot of a beautiful woman, right? I mean, I, I yeah, it's that kooky Frenchness, man. I mean, it, there is like a there is a certain Fre- uh, an obvious general French sensibility, uh, cinema sensibility that you see that is common in French cinema, and they're very particular to this uh, specific director as well. Well, and I think too, um, like you, it's not just the I'm being silly with the know, the French yes. stuff, but it's also a combination of like a non English speaking guy coming over and sort of interpreting like these Western sensibilities. Well, of uh, course, yeah. Especially, like, vis-a-vis, like, uh, Joss Whedon, right? So right. a young, sort of hip, like, writer in the United States <laughs> being interpreted by a, a French art house director is such a, like, such a wild combination. And that's why you get, uh, you get this uh, self-loathing robot in the form of Winona Ryder. Uh, never have I ever in my life uh, seen a cyborg just like shit all over itself and then shit all over humanity. And then when when Ripley asks uh, uh, her character, Call, so why do you care so much if anybody lives or dies? She just looks at her like exhausted and is like, because I'm programmed to. Right. And yeah. It's like, that's it. That's your whole motivation for this entire movie. Is I mean, you are programmed. That's kind of cool, though. I mean, you know, it's like we always say, like, well, why does someone believe this or why does someone believe that? Generally, it's because they've been told that, you know, and they yeah. just say, like, well, that's what I was told when I was growing up, so that's what I do. You know, yep. there's there's not necessarily a lot of deep introspection into into. I mean, obviously not for everybody, but there's a, a a large enough portion of the population just who just goes along with whatever they've been told, you know, and it that's kind of a cool nod. It's like. In all these other movies where robots robots have humanity, it's like always them define their programming, you know. And then this one, it's literally just like, yeah, I'm programmed to do the right thing. Yeah, and that's her whole motivation. Amazing, like amazing, amazing. Yeah, she's the, she's the, she is uh, in terms, you know, people always talk about the androids in alien movies. She's definitely underrated. Yeah, yeah, she has an ulterior motive, but there's nothing sinister about it. Yeah. And there's also no I mean, I guess there is like some subtle uh oddball behavior, but you really don't get a uh 
her turn comes when she's pretending to be drunk and then she sneaks off and then all of a sudden she's like, I'm not drunk. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's great in the role and the character is well written. So kind of like regardless of whether you think you think of the movie, whether you like think Alien Resurrection is a a good movie or a successful movie or accomplishes what it's trying to do. Uh, Like, I think that her her character is undeniably a good portion of it. Yeah, and she seems to have some kind of a rapport with uh, uh, the guy in the the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not sure what that's hinting at. I took, kind of took it as, you know, like the, the the rest of the crew kind of like don't treat the guy in the wheelchair very, very well. It's like, ah, oh, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's disabled and he's just kind of there and he's kind of a burden and he's not, he's one of us, but like he, he's the guy we give a hard time to. And her character is an android and is, will never truly belong either. And I thought it was just kind of, that was kind of just played up as like, oh, we're both, even amongst the outsiders, we're both the outsider outsiders. You oh, know? yeah. I like that. I think that's that works. I, that's how I took it. Yeah. You get the first glimpse of that, like, right in the opening of the movie when you're you're sort of meeting the crew on the ship. And uh, Ron Perlman is acting like an ape for some, like, no reason at all. <laughs> like, like, just ap- apropos of nothing, he's just acting like acting a monkey. Like, yeah, he's making, it's not like he's, like, always oh, being goofy or making, being grinning. No, he's literally acting like a pri- like a uh, a gorilla or something. Yeah, and he has nothing better to do while they're they're actually doing something productive, and then he uh, he throws a knife uh, uh, down onto the uh, uh, Vries's leg, and it just sticks in. And obviously, he's paralyzed, so he can't feel it, and he thinks it's super funny. But uh, Winona Ryder does not think it's funny and decides to break his knife, and he takes it very personally. I remember when I first saw them. I, cause I, 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 if I didn't see it in the theater, I saw it as soon as it came out on home video. And I remember that's, yeah, that was the scene where I was like, oh, okay, this movie is uh, strange. In the sense, it was just like such a, a, a jarring, like kind of out of the blue nowhere moment. And I think that's the really, I mean, there's weird stuff going on, but it's like kind of weird stuff that seems in tune with what we're, what I'm what I was going to expect the movie to deliver. And then it's just like, Oh, Ron Perlin's acting like an ape and throws a knife in a guy's leg for fun. And the whole way it's handled is just like, this is a very bizarre movie. It is. It really is. And, um, you get a sense that like, they're trying to sort of push you back towards an aliens type vibe with this crew. Uh, mm-hmm after spending time with all these criminals and monsters in alien three. So they're like, it's a nice balance between, uh, 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 criminals and Marines, right? Cause they're so, they're rough around the edges and they have no manners and they act like maniacs and, uh, they're selfish and self-serving and dirty and they look like they smell, but um, ultimately, they're pretty endearing. I mean, specifically Ron Perlman, who starts out as a real shit, and uh, he comes into conflict with just about everybody. Uh, at one point, he even <laughs> one of the military guards sticks a gun in his face and he yanks it out of the guy's hands and says, "Hey, don't ever touch me!" And then throws him back his gun so he can point it at him again. <laughs> I like that. That that is a good one. Although, like, do you think that? Be- that scene aside, because that is a great little character scene for him. 
do you think that his character actually becomes enduring or Ron Perlman just becomes endear- endearing? He really blurs the line because there is a point after he gets beat up by uh, the Ripley clone, uh, he sort of softens up um, and he his demeanor changes a little bit because mm-hmm. he's like he's scared of aliens and all the shit that's going on. You know, he's uh, starts to kind of show his uh, humanity just a little bit. And he's like, He's like walking around and he's like, uh, so like you, uh, ran into these things before. She's like, yeah. He's like, oh, uh, so like, what'd you do? And she's like, I died. And then walks away from him. I hate that line. (laughs) (laughs) There's like, this like very glib comedy dialogue style that kind of came out around this time and is still permeating movies to this day that i'm not a fan of and to me that is like one of the epitomes oh it's um, great it's... it's the perfect like it's all great like soundbite trailer stuff and i'm yeah. like i'm such a fan of it although i i'd say i have a love okay i just i will say i have a love hate relationship with it in this movie i mean i think they gave it to ripley just because they were like hey we're sorry the last one was so serious like let's have a little more fun with this one so we're gonna sure. give we're gonna have Ripley a bunch of zingers. We're gonna let her rip out an alien's tongue and like throw it at Winona Ryder, uh, and it's gonna flop around like a big dildo. And well, you know, I I kind of wish they had leaned in that direction more because for as wacky and zany as this movie is, at times it feels like they're trying to make it serious again. And if they if it had just become like a movie like Commando, but with aliens and xenomorphs and robots. I think it would be even more successful than it is. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think that was probably a product of, uh, uh, you know, Jean-Pierre Jeunet trying to to infuse some of his sensibilities into the movie, but then the studio pushing back, like, no, we got to make a horror movie. Right. Like, quit screwing around, you guys, you you crazy kids. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but there's something I. What do you, this time we're talking about like, oh, what works doesn't work. What do you think of the uh, end creature, which is one of the most controversial things of the movie? Well, so here's, I'll sort of give you a broader answer too. I think the aliens in this movie look good, but they can't even come close to the alien in Alien 3. Yeah. Uh, I think they are over-designed, and I also think that they are... I can't believe I'm saying this. There's a little too much slime because there's like everything is just greased up and dripping yeah. and just like it's a, a a little excessive. It kind of uh, ruins the, the effects a little bit. But at the same time, uh, I do love a, a good gross slimy movie. And I love the scene towards the beginning where the aliens gang up on one and just gut it and then it melts through the floor. I think the mm-hmm. alien guts look super cool. Um I also think that the um, the eggs and the hive look incredible. That final set piece where the, the queen is sitting there with her legs uh, spread open and the giant womb uh, and there's uh, soldiers and scientists cocooned to the walls. Yeah. That whole set is absolutely stunning. It's wild. It's yeah. unbelievable. Like if I could just go in and walk around there uh, for a few hours, I would be in heaven because it really is something. And I think unfortunately the newborn 
uh, sort of uh, overshadows a lot of that stuff. Um, and even that scene where Ripley goes through the floor and falls into, I, I don't even know what, and then starts I, starts I, dancing or having I, sex with one of the aliens or nobody really knows. It's just like a a strange like head scratching type of moment. Like you don't know what you're looking at. Uh, and I love that. I remember that's what got me to watch Alien Resurrection uh, all those years later was I was watching TV and flipping through channels and I saw that scene where she falls onto the uh, the womb or the pile of aliens or gets swallowed up by it, like whatever that is. I saw that and I was like, what is this goddamn movie? This is insane. It's, it's definitely one of the... Uh... It's not the most shocking, like in terms of just like, oh, look at all these monsters or gore scenes, but it is definitely one of the most just like uh, unsettling. Yeah, puzzling and mesmerizing, puzzling. like yeah. just all kinds of, all kinds of things. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's it does a lot, but ultimately, I think that the design of the hybrid, uh, you know, so ultimately. The, the queen that they take out of Ripley uh, grows a external womb. So whatever the, the mix of human and alien DNA is, the, the queen is able to have a womb, and from it she gives birth to a perfect alien-human hybrid. Or you could even argue it's uh, uh, more alien than human. But it the, the whole point behind the design was it mostly looks like an alien, but it's an albino and it has human eyes. Yeah. Uh, Which is, in terms of a design, like, uh, th- that's intelligent design and it's done very smartly. Um, ultimately, I don't think it, it quite pulls together um, because of, like, the audio and the, the performance and personality. But it's definitely, I think, one of the most times where if you feel like you're watching somebody in a suit yeah, versus watching an organic life form. I remember when I first saw the movie, I hated that thing. Uh, it has grown on me since. Yeah. It makes like baby noises and it sniffs around like a puppy. And I think some of that stuff, like, yeah, I, I think they did it for a specific reason, but at the same time, I don't think it, it just quite comes together. I think it grows on me in the sense that I like it conceptually, not necessarily in execution. Yeah. Um, I've softened on it though because it still is a pretty incredible suit, and um, I also uh, am more of a fan of the demise of the newborn than most. I also like the I like it. I also like the play between the Ripley clone and the newborn, where she knows it has to die, and she's more interested in protecting uh, Call. Um, but at the same time, she she knows that they're connected, and that mm-hmm. this is essentially family for her mm-hmm. and so she's still affected by it i thought yeah i thought that was a little i thought it was that was handled handled in a mm, just in a not entirely believable way because left and right she's like blasting aliens throughout this movie yeah you know she has they always makes it make it seem like she has this dilemma at moments but then she'll turn around and not have it at all. Like the, the moral conflict doesn't really seem only seems to be there when it's convenient and when it's not convenient to the plot. 
uh, it just disappears. So that that whole portion of the storyline doesn't work for me at all. Uh, just because I don't believe it. I, I believe it's like just tacked on to like kind of create some emotional weight that's not there. Um, yeah, it doesn't work for me in, in terms in, narratively in, in that respect. Yeah, and I'll say about the movie overall, like from a story standpoint, like eh, maybe it doesn't really really add up uh, at the end, but all the pieces are there. All the the pieces of the puzzle are there. The the hard ass space pirates, the the dodgy military fringe science setup, the super gross aliens doing something different. Mm-hmm. acting differently and genetically being different. Um, you know, goofy shit like the, the basketball uh, fight scene. I think it, what's most unique about the movie perhaps is that, like you said, the pieces are there. And I ha- I think it has the DNA to be... Oh, good one. Oh, that was <laughs> not even intended. Uh there was actually earlier I was about to say something and I was like, I almost said like, well, she, you know, Ripley's just further alienated from everybody. Oh. I like, and I, and I, I consciously chose not to <laughs> get him. Uh, it has the DNA to be like, in an, you, could, you could have gone more in either direction. It could have been a completely even more bonkers movie than it is. It totally disregarded any att- attempt at seriousness, or it could have taken the same plot line and made a very serious, not weird movie and maybe it just when it doesn't work it's because it fell it it tried to do the balancing act between the two and maybe that wasn't as successful as as it hoped to be in terms of that you know yeah i think um i think you shouldn't couldn't sort of escape the people that were involved um but, you know, obviously uh, Sigourney Weaver saw enough in the, the story and the script and the people involved that she was willing to get back get back on board after she said that she was done with the series. Well, I also heard her say that they, uh, they brought a dump truck full of money to her house, and that's why she did it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, she, like, was not even splitting hairs about it. Like, in an interview, like, around the time the movie came out, and she was like... Some of the interviewer asked her, like, didn't you say you weren't going to do another one of these? And she's like, well, yeah, but they gave me so much money. So, <laughs> <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. She totally. seems yeah. to be having a lot of fun in this movie. Like, she's acting like an insect and, like, swaying her head like a snake. And she's really doing, this is her, like, Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah, and she yeah, and she doesn't phone it in regardless if it was a movie she did just for money. She didn't phone phone it in, you know. Like she insisted on doing as many takes. She does that like back, uh, back behind the back uh, basketball dunk or whatever. Not dunk, but she like throws a basketball. Yeah, the blind over, sort of hook shot. Head, yeah, over her head and makes it like, and she insisted on doing it, doing it. For yeah, real. she practiced it over and over again, and then yeah, fucking nailed it. There's yeah. this great footage too, like unused footage of. Ron Perlman almost blew the shot because he was like so blown away that she hit it that yeah. he just turned to the camera and was like, holy shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's like, that's why it's such a fast cut. Uh, and then you see him turn his head and whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. That's good shit though. Yeah. Totally. I really like that stuff. And I like the, 
I like that her blood is kind of acidic and she gets to use it like to escape and fuck with the wiring and stuff like that and uh, break open the window at the end. And well, I don't know. It's, it's all sort of, it's easy to like you, all these gimmicks and all these kookiness is introduced. And so all of a sudden you're like, okay, this isn't alien three. I don't have to like take this seriously and totally. And mourn the death of a child and like look at an autopsy and shit like that it's like and we've we've literally had three movies prior to this and there's not a there's not like i mean there's 20 years between one and four but there's not that much time between each individual sequel you know so it's not like a huge span of time has, has gone on before we get alien resurrection but like we've had three very serious movies all in a row that pretty that like we said, like pretty much put an end cap on the franchise. You want to do another movie? What are you gonna do? You gotta you gotta do something goofy, weird at this at this point. Maybe later on in the future you can come back to something serious. But no one, you know, even though they say they want that, they would have been disappointed with a serious alien movie. You know, because exactly it would, because it would have just been like, well, we've already seen this, we've already done this. Yeah, or it takes itself done... too seriously, or yeah. it's so bleak, or it's depressing. It's not the '90s anymore, like. And regardless of the fact that this movie was probably only made for, for money and that uh, Sigourney Weaver only did it for money, nobody involved in it phoned it in and everyone seemed pretty excited to be like, hey, at least we're making an Alien movie. Hell yeah. And you know what? It's another great looking movie. Like the production design's incredible. Like if you don't like what's going on in the story, just turn the sound off and put on your favorite music. Like there's just so much eye candy in this thing. Like the ship uh looks incredible like it's great yeah i'd love to see tommy Wiseau remake this movie with him as ripley eight it probably honestly would probably be almost the exact same movie yeah it wouldn't be too far off if if you went to tommy Wiseau and he had never seen alien resurrection you said tommy Wiseau, will you make an alien movie it it would probably be a carbon copy Oh, yeah, just, it'd be spot just, on. Just with worse, worse acting and terrible production design. He'd be like, Ron Parlman, don't you play basketball with me, babe? And he, was like, and he was like, I was already in this movie. He's like, that's impossible. I haven't made it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so, I mean, obviously, it's difficult to compare them because they're so wild. Oh, they're different. wildly different movies. But, wildly different. However... Uh, I will say Resurrection is easily the movie that I, if I just want to watch a, a, an alien movie and keep it kind of light and breezy, I will sure. throw it on uh, because it takes no time to get going. Uh, and it's, I'm laughing from the first minute. Um, I, even the opening credits, uh, uh, there's no sort of cold open. It's just straight to the title and then the opening credits. And it's all these sort of weird like stereoscopic morphine images of the Ripley clones. Mm-hmm. And it's just nice to look at. Yeah. And what is fun, what's fun about the, how different the movies are from each other, even the ones that are more similar, like, you, you know, like, okay, uh, three is very bleak. Uh, uh, one is very isolating. The second one's an action movie. They are still like, still their DNA is still a lot closer to each other, but you can watch the movies in different moods. It's like if you want to watch any of the Godfather movies, you have to be in the mood for that. 
you know. Yeah, like, you got to sit down and listen to people quietly talking yeah. and staring at yeah. each other and just like, ugh. I can watch if I want to watch a movie that has a, a xenomorph in it. I I ha, I can do it uh, under a under many different moods. If I want something slow and serious. I can do that. If I want to watch an action movie, I can do that. If I want to watch a, like essentially a space gore comedy, I can do that. Yeah, Resurrection has twelve uh, xenomorphs totally, and I don't want to uh, forget to talk about this. The underwater sequence where they're going through the kitchen to the freight elevator, even though like it gets a lot of shit for the swimming aliens and the CGI and whatever the fuck. It's a great scene. Just look at what they're doing. Look at all that shit that they built under there and then flooded and lit. It looks great. And the Mm -hmm. fact that they coordinated all of those performers and kept them alive and were giving them oxygen and... I think that whole scene took like two or three weeks to shoot. And it was the first, it was actually the first thing they shot. Yeah, it's insane. They all did get scuba certified and all the, they worked really hard on that and it looks good. And everybody focuses on the aliens and this and that, but goddamn, like they did something really cool. Did you know that Ron Perlman knocked himself unconscious filming that scene and almost drowned? Nice. Yeah, like some like a he, he was, <laughs> I guess like he not he like hit his head on a pipe, or he came up out of the water and hit his head on a pipe above like a sprinkler or something, knocked himself unconscious, sunk back down, and like a random stagehand just saw him like floating face down and jumped in and and saved him. That sounds about right. Yeah, he's such an essential part of the movie. It's crazy. I will never forget as long as I live. He has lots of great lines in the movie but his shining moment his crowning achievement and one of the great moments in cinema history is when uh they're like climbing uh climbing out of the the elevator shaft and uh he dangles upside down and fires his guns at the alien to help save christy and Vries. and uh when he pulls himself back up in, right in front of his face on the ladder is a little spider in a spider web and he screams and then blows it away with his <laughs> <Yeah>. gun. <laughs> yes. I think that's the first movie I saw Ron Perlman in, actually. Yeah, I think so, too. Same for me. Wait, didn't you only see that movie a few years ago, though? Not a few years ago. Oh. No, no, I saw it like 10 or 12 years ago. Okay. Something like that. Well, then you've probably had seen him in something else before prior to that then. No, right? I think, I mean, maybe, but not any of the movies that I sort of know him for now. Gotcha. That I could call out. What time, when did Hell Oh, uh, you know what? The Actually, the first time I saw him was the uh, Beauty and the Beast TV show with Linda Hamilton. Okay, yeah, that's true. I, I had seen that, but I didn't know yeah. who he was. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I learned after the fact that it was the same person, you know. I found that show to be very unsettling. That beast makeup, I was like, why does this man look like a lion? I don't like this at all. Uh, have you, I rewatched, I, as I had not seen it since probably when it was on, I rewatched a few episodes relatively recently, and that mo- that show is pretty weird. I can, I can buy that. It was a weird time, man. The 90s were, were super weird. Mm-hmm. Which one do you uh, like better, Beauty and the Beast or Alien Resurrection? Oh, definitely Alien Resurrection. Definitely Alien Resurrection. Because in addition to that that spider moment with Ron Perlman, uh, uh, that scene that we talked about from the at the beginning, um, where 
uh, Ripley goes and discovers the previous failed clones and then has to kill the uh, the surviving clone that is in sort of perpetual misery. Uh, I'll never forget that scene as long as I live. I mean, there's so many uh, moments like that uh, in this movie for me, but that one is just her walking past each of the sort of stasis tubes and looking at all of the, the different like failed experiments, the different like stages of, you know, crossbred clones where, you know, they might be mostly human or they might be mostly alien, but they'll have, you know, traits of both species. And it's all just sort of crimes against nature. And it's, it escalates and escalates until, you know, this one is laying in the bed, just crying out for death with alien teeth and a human face and a misshapen sort of alien chicken wing and a leg. And it's hooked up to all sorts of, you know, tubes and machines to keep it alive. And and then it's up to her to use the flamethrower and just put it out of its misery. It's definitely the, I think the iconic mo- moment of the, of the, of the movie. Yeah. This is an effects movie. This is definitely with, an without movie. question. Yeah, no, that, that is that is all it. I mean, not, I don't mean it like oh, that's all it is, but I mean like that it is wall to wall effect, effect, effect. No, it is. It really is, though. It is. It's yeah. effects scenes and uh, set pieces, and then it's wisecracks and yeah. Uh, it really has to be like seen to be believed honestly i thought i would have like more to say about it but without sort of repeating what happened word for word like you just have to see it right true i mean uh so maybe that's what we what should happen next people if you haven't seen this movie go out and see it if you want to tell us your opinions you can do that if you don't want to you don't have to do that either just enjoy the movie yeah um next we're going to be doing wait let's talk about the end oh shit okay sorry so okay so technically, this was the next end of the series, right? So we end with uh, they're going to uh, uh, crash the uh, military ship into the Earth. Oh, we got to talk about that real quick. Um, uh, once uh, there's a uh, containment breach on the ship, uh, it automatically uh, is set to return home, right? And so when everyone finds out where it's heading back to, their reaction is fascinating. They so they're talking to one of the 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 you know uh the scientist that was in uh, Dick Tracy as uh, Wrinkles. Um I can't remember his name. Um but he uh he sort of is very somber in his response. They're like, "Where is home?" He, he takes a dramatic pause and he looks at everybody and he's earth. And then you get a, like a musical stinger and then everybody reacts and they're like, Oh shit. Like, what do you, I can't believe it. Not earth. And then Ron Perlman says something like, I'd rather stay here with the monsters. And then at the oh, very yeah. end of the scene, he's like, earth, man, what a shithole. Yeah. So what, and we never get like a real explanation, uh, on what happened eventually they do crash land on earth and the (laughs) the ship crashes the major the big ship crashes and like nukes a big part of it and then their other ship crashes and they all get out but uh 
you know, Ripley and Call sort of stand there and uh, uh, she's like, oh, I don't know what we do now. Like, I'm kind of a stranger to here myself. But they never sort of reveal like what the status of Earth is. So like, well, what do you what do you think is going on on Earth? Everything when they get to Earth, because don't they, they don't even land like, don't they land like kind of like in an open field or something? Yeah, or a desert, I think. Yeah, everything is very yellow and bland and drab. And my assumption is that the Earth is just very hot now and... Yeah, maybe just like uh, environmental collapse. Yeah, and it's just like, it's just like, it's just grimy and dirty and sandy. It's no matter where it's like it's like mad max if there was still people living in buildings and going to work or maybe there's a big hole in the ozone layer a la highlander 2 and that's in the, 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 the they're connected all roads lead to alien 3 is the phrase but we're talking about resurrection here so oh. i don't know Either way, yeah, I think it's weird. I think it's I think it's cool when people say cryptic stuff like that. I think it always gets my uh, imagination going. Totally, yeah. But at the same time, there's also no payoff, uh, and you're sort of left wide open with, okay, well, they nuked uh, this latest batch of aliens and the queen, and the newborn got sucked out into space via its brain. So uh, what does this hybrid alien clone and this... Uh, and uh not android i guess an android or a cyborg whatever you want to call it uh what kind of wacky adventures are they going to get into well they'll probably just get a job at like a canning factory yeah like laverne and shirley exactly you know that's precisely what i was thinking you know and then they'll have some roommates uh there'll be goofy situations where they'll both have dates with the same guy on the same night you know or maybe they'll get into like a mrs doubtfire type situation where one of them's where one of them's dressing up as the other one like yeah yeah i can see that yeah that made that i think that's i think that's the the normal the normal progression of the of this of the franchise right there yeah well it's a good thing we talked about that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah on that note, uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Oh, I don't know. I think I used up all my all my juice on uh, Alien Three, but um, there is a special edition of Alien Resurrection. Uh, it has some different scenes and some like different effects, but not. I don't think there's anything too drastic. Uh, mostly just the opening, where there's like a bug on the window and it gets squished. Um. So yeah, there isn't any really any like wacky there's not too 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 much lore behind it other than like this this was the movie that sort of solidified like uh hr giger's like hatred and distrust of the studio and i think they pretty much like severed all ties Mm -hmm. so which is that's too bad yeah i'm excited to talk about prometheus and uh covenant because those are the two movies in this series that I think are most closely intertwined with each other. So we can almost talk about them as one to a certain degree. Uh, so that'll be fun. That's well, we're also, gonna... also, we're finally going to find out. How oh, many fine. days it's been since oh, Elliot has seen Alien Covenant. Oh, shit. I think right, I just called I... you Elliot. 
What? That works for me too. <laughs> we'll have to do the math, figure it out, you know, and then uh, we'll talk about it, and that'll be the next episode. Yeah, those are going to be even crazier, um, and I think more polarizing too. I'm be- hungry. <laughs> Is it dinner time? <laughs> Sorry, the adult uh, infant that I lived with decided to demand food. That was perfectly audible, so that's definitely going to be on the show. <laughs> hi, Francis. He says hi. Uh, hello. Sorry to take up all the time here. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's that's it. Just about it, pretty much for the uh, latest installment of the Egg Chronicles. We will continue with. Um, Prometheus and Alien Covenant by God, come hell or high water. And as always, until next time, the hive is closed. Goodbye, everyone. Hey, Ripley. I heard you, like, ran into these things before. That's right. Wow, man. So, like, what did you do? I died. <laughs>